0: Chapter 47 of the Principles of Economics with Applications to Practical Problems. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Principles of Economics with Applications to Practical Problems by Frank Albert Fetter. Chapter 47 The Standard of Deferred Payments. Part 1 function of the standard one the standard of deferred payments is the thing of value in which by the law or by contract the amount of a debt is expressed a credit transaction is a lengthened exchange one party fulfils his part of the contract the other party promises to give an equivalent at a later date the equivalent may be in any kind of goods for example in barter one may part with a horse on the promise of a cow to be received later or a small horse on the promise of a large one or a flock of sheep on the promise of its return at the end of the year with a part of the increase of the flock a simple standard in which to express the debt is the thing borrowed as horse sheep wheat house etc this involves the use of the renting contract again the thing to which the value of debts is referred may be a thing quite different from the goods borrowed and with the growth of the money economy and the use of the interest contract, money comes more and more to be used as the standard. The parties express the debt in terms of the standard unit established by law. 2. The importance of the standard of deferred payments increases with the use of money and with the amount of outstanding debts. Until the use of money develops, the use of credit is difficult and limited. It becomes easy when the value of all things is expressed in terms of a common circulating medium if all business were done for cash there would be no great interests affected when a change in the value of money occurred every dollar would change in value in the hands of the holder but there the effect would cease. but the volume of outstanding debts expressed in terms of money now exceeds many-fold the total value of the circulating medium the value of all these debts changes in the same proportion as does that of the standard unit of money when this is cheapened either by law or as a result of increasing supplies, a creditor to whom a thousand dollars are due loses the same as if he had a thousand metal dollars locked up in a strong chest. Outstanding contract debts may be roughly divided into three classes. Short-time loans running less than a year, medium-time running from one to five years, long-time running over five years. Fluctuations are rarely rapid and great enough to affect appreciably The debtors and creditors in the case of short-time loans. The results are greater in the case of long-time loans such as national, state and city debts, bonds of corporations, mortgages given by farmers on their land or by owners of city real estate. A multitude of interests are affected by a change in the value of money. When, as in the years 1873 to 1896, money gains in purchasing power, prices fall, receivers of fixed incomes are gainers when as in the years eighteen hundred and ninety six to nineteen hundred and three the value of money falls the revenues from educational and charitable endowments the salaries of public officials and all fixed incomes lose purchasing power in a capitalistic age therefore almost every individual is affected in some way by a change in the value of money in most cases the change escapes recognition people do not trace out the relation that an industrial change bears to their own interest in a few notable cases however the change has been revolutionary as in the period following the discovery of america when the feudal dues had come to be expressed in terms of money instead of labor services in modern times the mass of debts being greater than ever before such changes as those following the discovery of gold in california or the decrease in gold production between 1873 and 1890 have the gravest economic results. 3. The best standards of deferred payments available. The precious metals, gold and silver, are still imperfect. The good that is most convenient as a standard of deferred payments is the one used as money. Gold, today, is constantly expressing the value of all other things. Borrowers prefer to make loans in the form of the general medium of exchange from the usage of speaking of all things in terms of money the false idea arises that the value of other things changes but that the value of gold is always the same money is no such a fixed objective standard as a foot rule or a pound weight the value of gold rests on the estimates made by men and is constantly changing according to the conditions a fixed objective standard of value is not possible of attainment The value of the precious metals is stable as compared with most things the current new supply is comparatively regular for generations at a time there may be no radical changes in the output of gold and silver for centuries there was no change in the methods of extraction recent inventions however have considerably altered these conditions the nature of the use of gold and silver likewise is such as to make the demand for them under ordinary conditions most stable the precious metals are but slowly worn out only a portion of the annual output is used in the arts there is therefore a large reservoir into which flows steadily a small stream the existing stock is twenty or thirty times the annual output yet the value of the standard metals is never quite stable and sometimes several influences combine as in the last century to affect their value greatly and suddenly various ideals for a standard of deferred payments have been suggested as return of equal enjoyment of equal sacrifice social expediency and various standards as labor commodities and the tabular standard the ideal standard of deferred payments is one that will ensure justice between borrower and lender different views have been taken as to what constitutes justice in this matter the suggestion is attractive That the sum when returned should represent the same amount of enjoyment as it did when it was borrowed. Such a standard is impossible of realization in any general way for men's circumstances are constantly changing. To ensure even to the average man the same amount of enjoyment is only roughly possible. The same goods do not afford the same enjoyment when conditions have changed. Another suggestion is that the goods returned should represent the same sacrifice as those loaned here again the difficulty is in the lack of an objective standard whose sacrifice that of the lender who may be rich or that of the borrower who may be poor some have supposed the conditions of equal sacrifice were met by the labour standard according to which the sum returned should purchase the same number of days of labour as when borrowed but what kind of labour is to be taken that of the lender or that of the borrower or that of someone else labour is of many different qualities which can be exactly compared only through their objective value in terms of some one good the ideal of equal enjoyment has been supposed to be realized by the tabular standard which consists of a number of leading commodities in fixed proportions the money returned is to be enough to purchase the same goods at the expiration as at the making of the loan and thus may be a larger or smaller sum than was borrowed while this does not as is sometimes claimed, ensure equality of enjoyment, it averages the fluctuations of many goods and thus prevents great extremes. This standard has been favored by notable monetary authorities, but the difficulties of its practical application are prohibitive. It must be recognized that any possible concrete standard of deferred payments will sometimes work hardship to individuals. The best average results for justice and social welfare, will be secured by measuring debts in goods that change least often least rapidly and in the least unpredictable manner gold thus far has proved itself worthy to serve as the standard part two international bimetallism one the fall of prices in eighteen hundred and seventy three and the following years meant a great change in the standard of deferred payments the monetary changes following the discovery of america were due to the inflow to europe Of great quantities of silver, taken by force from the Native American rulers, and from the rich mines. Silver, at that time throughout Europe, the main standard of deferred payments, was thus greatly lowered in value. This change lightened all outstanding obligations, lowered the money rents of the peasants, and the customary dues of labor, wherever they had come to be expressed in money form. By the third quarter of the 19th century, gold had become in Europe and America, the main standard though silver still served as such in some countries. The output of gold in 1849 to 1857 caused the greatest money inflation that has occurred since the 16th century, favoring in a similar manner the debtor classes. The substitution of gold for silver by some countries at that time, by making a great additional market for gold, helped in some degree to check the fall in its value. The decline in the output of gold was a change of the opposite character. Causing a fall of prices and increasing the burden of debts. From 1873 to 1896, there was almost constant decline of the prosperity of the agricultural classes due in part to this money influence, but in part to influences which cannot be dwelt upon here, as they had nothing to do with the money question. There was complaint, agitation, and demand for relief on the part of many interests in France, Germany, England, and the United States. 2 bimetallism the use of two metals as standard monies, was a remedy proposed bimetallism is legally complete when both metals are admitted to the mints for free coinage at an established ratio of weight it is halting or limping when one of the metals is not freely coined bimetallism may be legally authorized but not actually working as soon as the legal ratio varies appreciably from the market value only one of the metals will in fact be brought to the mint National bimetallism is confined to a single country, as that in the United States before the Civil War or in France before eighteen hundred and sixty seven. International bimetallism is an agreement among several nations to use two metals on the same terms, the only case in history being that of the Latin Union, which included France, Italy, Switzerland, and other countries. The discussion of international bimetallism in recent years has been on the proposal to make a much larger league of states than the latin union embracing all the leading countries three the main object of international bimetallism is to prevent the fluctuations of the standard of deferred payments commercial dealings between gold using and silver using countries are of great magnitude and the use of different standards leads to many difficulties fluctuations in the ratio of the two metals occasion much uncertainty and loss to individual traders the rise in the value of gold meant an increase in the burden of the public debts of silver using countries which collect their revenues in silver but which must pay their debts principal and interest in gold the theory of bimetallism is that the government can act on the value of the two metals through the principle of substitution the metal tending to become dearer will not be coined the other will be coined in greater quantities the degree of influence that can thus be exerted on the value of the two metals depends on the size of the reservoir of the metal that is rising in price when it all leaves a circulation the law on the statute book permitting it to be coined becomes a mere sounding phrase in such a case there is bimetallism de jure but monometallism de facto the greater the league of states the greater is the likelihood that the scheme will work the economic theory of bimetallism was recognized by a majority of economists to be abstractly sound but the political difficulties in the way of international agreements are great and have proved to be insurmountable part three the free silver movement in america one international bimetallism despite many efforts failed of adoption this brief proposition sums up the history of the movement from eighteen hundred and seventy eight to eighteen hundred and ninety two to form a league of states and an agreement for international bimetallism International conferences were held and taken part in by the leading financiers of the world. France at first favored the policy, and the United States was always foremost in advocating it, while England in the main was opposed. Some of the advocates of bimetallism argued that the fall of prices was due not alone to economic forces, but also to a money conspiracy which had influenced legislation to introduce and continue the gold standard. This, of course, was strenuously denied it is true that the commercial classes found gold the form of money most suitable to large business and no doubt class interests entered into the question in some measure the difficulties of the debtor class in america were peculiarly great owing to the inflated paper currency from eighteen hundred and sixty two to eighteen hundred and seventy nine which had made our conditions quite abnormal in the period of speculation following the civil war an enormous mass of debts had been accumulated the hopes of thousands of tillers of the soil suffering from a fall in prices and of the great debtor class clamoring for relief were centered upon the success of this movement banking and other large business interests in general opposed it two the plan of the free silver advocates was to legalize national bimetallism in the united states at a ratio between gold and silver very different from the market ratio gold had become long before eighteen hundred and sixty the real standard of our money system and after eighteen hundred and seventy three it was the only metal admitted to free coinage silver little by little was losing purchasing power in terms of gold until from being worth in eighteen hundred and seventy three one sixteenth as much ounce for ounce it became in eighteen hundred and ninety six worth but one thirtieth as much as gold it must be recognized that the power of silver to purchase general commodities fell much less than the change in its ratio to gold would indicate gold having risen in terms of most other goods as well as of silver nevertheless the proposal to open the mints to free silver at sixteen to one in the year eighteen hundred and ninety six meant a sudden and marked cheapening of money the prime purpose was to lighten the burden of debts by making the standard of deferred payments cheaper it was at first a debtors movement but to succeed it had to enlist the support of other large classes of voters and thus by force of political necessity but doubtless in large part naively it developed into the more sweeping theory that wages, welfare, and prosperity call for a larger supply of money independently of the effect on debts. In its extreme form, the free silver plan was a fiat scheme, for some of its supporters believed that by the mere passage of the law, the two metals could be made to bear to each other any ratio desired. But its most intelligent and high-minded advocates, who were moved to its support by a sincere sympathy and concern for the distressed agriculturists, recognized fully that the force of the law was limited by economic conditions the extreme opponents of the plan ignoring the evident fact that the adoption of a metal as a standard money is one of the most essential of the market conditions denied that government action could in any way affect the value most of the arguments presented on either side in the political campaign showed little evidence of a sound theory of money the victory of the gold standard in eighteen hundred and ninety six and nineteen hundred it would seem was due more to the well-founded fear that a sudden change of the money standard would cause a panic than to a thorough understanding of the question. 3. The increase of the gold output has for the present checked the fall of prices. Before 1890, for a number of years, the average output of gold was shrinking till it reached a scant hundred million per year. At the same time, nations which recently had gone over to the gold standard were striving to secure large stocks for their banks and general circulation and those great reservoirs as a result became better filled than they ever were before after the opening of new gold yielding territory in south africa and in the klondike the annual output of gold became greater than it had ever been being at the opening of the south african war in eighteen hundred and ninety eight nearly three times that of ten years earlier the present methods of extracting gold resemble those of fifty years ago as civilized industry resembles that of savages intricate machinery has taken the place of crude tools chemical processes have been introduced and the principal product results from the regular and certain working of deep mines rather than from the chance surface discoveries great masses of debris can now be reworked profitably in many parts of the world are enormous deposits of low-grade ores before useless that can be worked economically by present methods for a generation at least the world's supply of gold is likely to continue larger than ever before in history and prices in terms of gold will probably rise. Though no change ever seems likely or possible at the present time, the free silver advocate has been justified by events against those gold advocates who said that the amount of money has nothing to do with prices. Prices have gone up as gold has increased. The free silver advocates have gotten what they wanted through a change for which neither party can claim the credit. Yet the present situation is unsatisfactory and undeveloped. A standard better than a single metal, more stable than a single commodity, is desirable if it can be found. The money question must arise again, and in a new form before many years. The difficulty has not been finally settled. It is but postponed. End of chapter forty seven. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.